Welcome to Adventist Voices, Spectrum's podcast. I'm Alexander Carpenter. This week I'm joined by three filmmakers who are releasing their new film this weekend called Hosea. Yes, it's based on that story in the Bible. You know it, prophet called by God to act metaphorically to help Israel understand what they've been doing wrong. And so Hosea marries a sex worker named Gomer, has three children with her, divorces her over claims of infidelity, and then buys her back. It's a story that's always bothered me. Then I watched their film, and it really helped me understand the deeper themes of redemption, of grace, of violence and power, and ultimately of what it means to be a human that wants other humans to flourish. So I'm looking forward to sharing this conversation with you. Um, I am talking with the writer and director of this film, Ryan Daniel Dobson, and then producer Suzanne Watson and producer Averill Z Speaks. And if you're interested in watching this film, we also mentioned where you can watch it at the end, but you can check it out at HoseaFilm.com as well as on Amazon, Apple TV, Vudu, and Google Play. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Thanks for listening. Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. On the move, and the poor, and the meek, and the hungry, and the lonely. I'll never forget it. Hey, thanks, uh, all of you. So I've got Averill and Ryan, and then is it Suzanne? It is Suzanne. Um, so uh, thanks for uh, talking with me today, and um, thanks for re- making a really beautiful film. Um, I have to admit, I have gritted my teeth through a lot of sermons based on the book of Hosea, um, men preaching about a man who speaks for God, marrying a sex worker, divorcing her for infidelity, and then buying her back always seemed to come across as chauvinistic, controlling, passive-aggressive, and a little sadistic. But good news, I think your film um, <laughs> saved me <laughs> from... <laughs> Um, we're we're going like to need a quote, a quote on that. <laughs> I feel like I need to record you. you say that again? I feel like you just summed it all up. We're done here. My work here is done. <laughs> Success. <laughs> Great. So, um, so I think your film found this really uh, beautiful, redemptive un- underlying theme in that story. And uh, maybe I'll start with uh, whoever wants to. Um, um, who talked to me about, you know, where, where the, the, the genesis of this idea came from for you to tackle such a, such a difficult story. Um, I'm sorry, Suzanne and Avril, that you have to listen to this again. <laughs> um, so the, I think we've all, we've all had our own sort of forms of, of a genesis in terms of how we look at ancient stories, uh, sacred stories. So I, I think 
each of us could kind of tell a version of what I'm about to say. For me, it was um, studying theology at a Nazarene school in Oklahoma um, and kind of for the first time being confronted with the idea that I had throughout my childhood and young adult life sanitized the biblical stories in my own mind and, and kind of realized like, oh, I've been picturing Unre- without realizing it, I've been imagining these stories taking place in some kind of white room where everything's very clean and everybody wears robes. Um, and it was uh, a New Testament Greek professor who, for the first time, introduced me to the concept of the search for the historical Jesus. And I, I remember very clearly him saying, um, you know, what if, or who is this Jesus that walked the, the dusty street of ancient Palestine? Maybe he walked with a limp maybe he was bald. And I was just completely flabbergasted by that idea um, that I had, uh, Suzanne and I joked the other day that I had seen Jesus. He's, he's in, he was in a painting outside the door of my heart on my church's wall. Um, and, and so I, I remember then sitting in chapel not long after that at a university where a sermon much like the one you just described, Alex, was taking place, where it was being depicted that Hosea was this, um, you know, altruistic person because he was somehow taking on the personhood of, of God. And, uh, you know, Gomer was this representation of almost like, um, human depravity or the Freudian id who just like couldn't keep her pants on and left a, a perfectly loving husband in a wonderful home with three kids to go sell her body for sex. And it, for the first time I went, that does not sound like a real human being. Yeah. That's not a thing that a person does. Uh, and so that was that was the beginning for me of just going, wow, man, what what might her situation have actually been like where the decision that we all kind of assume she made based on the way we retell this story uh, would make sense. And so then it began this, this long journey of um, Suzanne and I becoming friends, me finding out that she had very similar ideas about this text specifically imagining what it would be like to retell it present day where we get to see the context of that person's life and understand why they make those decisions. And then eventually us connecting with Averill, uh, who has very similar passions about sacred story. That, that's kind of the, uh, the birthplace. Well, that's great to hear. I, I, I like the, the journey you took from kind of uh, where you grew where, where the story grew with you of understanding um, the historical part and also not being afraid to revisit something that seemed so um, difficult. Um, I guess it sounds like Suzanne came in next. So do you mind just talking about what did you have reservations about jumping into this story or were you uh, did you have a, a sense of, that it could really um, be redeemed? Yeah, no. I mean, Ryan and I were in a small group together, a couple of small groups, and we had been friends for a long time. And I had a similar, a similar journey as him, having grown up in the church and hearing the story, sort of the way you explained earlier. And I read a book, um, like the Redeeming the Francine Rivers book, when I was really young, like in my teens. And I remember thinking that that seed was sort of planted then in me that like, you know, this story, and this is good, this is a good book. And, um, but I think that this could really be told in a way that is real in modern day and comfortable from the point of view, what these people would actually really be like if we knew them as they are today. 
And so I sort of said that to a friend, a mutual friend of ours. And she was, she said, you know, Ryan wants to do the same thing. I'm like, you're kidding me. And so, because here we are like meeting every week and we both are having the same idea and we've never even talked about it. So that's when we said, okay, let's meet me at this coffee shop, 6 a.m. on a Saturday, because we had really little kids then. And we met at 6 a.m. on a Saturday and I uh, said, yeah, let's, let's do this. And um, he had some note cards. And so the first iteration of the story and the way we tell it is uh, was on note cards at a coffee shop in Brentwood and that's a true story <laughs> and that's where it all started um for us and um and then April came in two years later okay we got through the development side of it yeah April your turn yeah April <laughs> um can you know in your role producing this I'd love for you to kind of tell me about um why you jumped on and then what what kind of um what vision you had for shaping the story and, and making it happen. Yeah. I mean, by the time I came on board, um, you know, Ryan and Suzanne had obviously already been through several um, iterations of the script and, you know, they had, they had already, um, you know, were at a point where it was like, you know, we're just ready to tell the story. And I think for me, I think, I think our, you know, the timing just aligned, I think, for all of us in the sense that um, I had just finished um, producing another film called Jen that also has some themes about spirituality and about women. And, um, you know, this is, this is just something that I'm passionate about and that I'm into is um, stories about spirituality, you know, as a Christian, it's, you know, interesting to me to have stories that, um, you know, humanize the, the stories that we read in scripture. Um, I had spent a couple of years at Fuller Seminary in their theology and film department. And so it's spent, you know, two years kind of thinking about these kinds of things and what does that look like for us to, um, whether it's, you know, deliberately interpreting the Bible using film or even just um, how do we see God in just human stories that, that may not be, you know, explicitly rooted in biblical text, you know, how do we see God in these, um, you know, human stories? And so, um, you know, spending two years kind of diving into like, the academic discussion of all of that um, to then outside of that experience or after that experience on an, on an academic and theological level to be able to step into something that was creative and visual um, and telling a story, you know, as a woman telling a story that, um, you know, sort of puts, puts the female character at the center, even though that's normally not how this story is interpreted. I just found that to be um, not just fascinating, but also just very in line and very in tune with what um, what I'm passionate about and kind of what I believe to be my sort of um, wheelhouse, if you will. Well, I'm glad you brought up uh, spirituality in your answers. Um, I want to loop back to that and and get your thoughts on on um, how that how you see spirituality in film. Um, but before we do that, uh, I want to talk some more about the film. Um, I found the location really 
interesting there in kind of uh, Oklahoma oil country, a place I have driven through once. Um, and uh, I kind of read, I reread the whole damn book of Hosea uh, in preparation for watching the film. <laughs> and then I read a little bit of kind of historical background on it. And um, I thought that the kind of dilapidated um, uh, locations that you picked fit well with the the context of that message, which is a place once promising now in decline, and it provided a really nice um, nice packaging, I'd say, uh, for the characters that you um, brought to life. So, can you talk about? what it was like to film in Oklahoma, why you chose it. Um, um, it sounds like you had a connection there. So that was, uh, I, I'm from Oklahoma, born and raised in Oklahoma. Um, and then Ryan had spent some time in Oklahoma. His wife is from Oklahoma. So he, he knew it really well, like I did. You know, you write what you know. And so from the beginning, it was going to be set in Oklahoma City. And it was really cool because mo a lot of times, you know, in movies, like, when they list the place, the fair place, it's like they're actually filming in Toronto. It's not really like downtown Oklahoma City. But a lot of what we say in our movie, it's really cool because that's really where we are. And again, we did that because we, we knew that place. Um, and Oklahoma was a great place to film. There, there are some tough things because the elements there, like we filmed in February, and Oklahoma weather can be kind of crazy. So there was days where literally it was snowing and there's ice on the ground. And then the next day it was 70 degrees. So it was a little bizarre. <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, it was, it was really fun to get to go back to a place that I hadn't been in a long time for, as far as living there. Um, but, you know, I am in Oklahoma and to get to go back and hire crew and just sort of you know, spend money there and give money back to that state was really rewarding. And then just to be so true to who these characters are. Like I felt really, it felt really good to be able to do that. But that's why we actually chose Oklahoma. That was very intentional. Um, and it was up for debate for a bit, actually. We almost didn't go there because we were families and it's hard to travel. And, you know, um, other places might even have been cheaper to go to. But at the end of the day, like Ryan also fought really hard. Like, no, I wrote this to be filmed in Oklahoma City. I think we really need to film this in Oklahoma City. And I was like, you're right. Let's go. So we, at there we one, <laughs> At one point we had, you know, you're always trying to bring more money onto a project so you can make it the full vision. Uh, yeah. And we had one production company who wanted to, they sort of, they, they kind of implied that they had some money that we could get access to if we partnered with them and packaged some films to shoot with them that they were shooting in Serbia. And so <laughs> there was this period of time where it was like, is the only way we're going to get this movie made is if we set it in Serbia? Uh, I, I can't even believe that we entertained that. Like, I thought about that. I was like, what were we thinking? Like, I don't, I'm so glad that didn't work out. <laughs> I changed <laughs> <clears throat> from the script standpoint, uh, Alex, it, it was important to me to set in Oklahoma for, for a number of reasons. Um, you know, in the very early stages of researching the text, I, I realized that I wanted it to, the story to exist in a place where the Gomer character, our Kate, would feel some of the same um, religious and societal pressures just baked into the crust of where she was, right? Where if you set it in a more... Uh, you know, in a, in a real urban, progressive, edgy place, it, I think it would be a little harder to believe that the people around her 
weren't constantly judging her. And I wanted that to feel like this kind of ever present weight on her shoulders that she couldn't just put different clothes on and be, be a different person. Uh, and so I think, you know, the setting in the Bible belt does some of that work for us. There's also just really interesting things about Oklahoma that tie it um, thematically to the story because of the, the junctions of the highways there coming up from Texas, uh, you know, an I-40 coming across. It actually is a place where a lot of trafficking happens. And then the, for me, the visual of the red clay uh, was so central to the themes of being marked, which again goes back to yeah. initial stages of research and trying to think through um, the difference between modern day conceptualization of what a prostitute is and kind of the pretty woman, Richard Gere, Julia Roberts version of that versus what it really means and the way a person uh, wears an identity actually has it on their skin, um, the way that would have been true at Gomer's time and the way it's still true today. So that red clay, my wife w- would tell a story about how all of her childhood genes had red stains on the knees because when you grow up in Oklahoma City, you're playing out in the yard, you just get red everywhere. And so I just was very entranced by that that color, obviously what red means visually, but the way that it stains the things in the city, that, that symbolically matters. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I found a, a several of the uh, motifs running through the film, like the red clay, um, and lights as well. I like the candle scene. I don't want to ruin it for anyone. And also the lamps uh, later on. Um, can you talk about what it was like kind of weaving those through, thinking them up um, and achieving you know, what you wanted with them? Yeah, I should say that a big part of the reason that I think you're, um, those scenes are notable is because our cinematographer, Arlene Mueller, did an amazing job. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and I would say it, it's important for me to point out she, because of her eye and because of her awareness to the theme of light, she also found shots that I didn't intend. Like there's a shot where Kate is, is on a couch at um, the art gallery, Andrew's house. And she's looking at the, uh, the little crystals hanging from the window and holding her hand in the light. That was entirely Arlene Shaw, and I think how she handled light in the scenes you're talking about was really key to people's experience of it. Um, but thematically, there was there was a stage at, at which we even considered naming the script uh, a light that's brighter um, because I was very enamored with this line of dialogue that doesn't even exist in the movie anymore, um, where Henry is uh, Henry and Kate are in that church turned restaurant. And they're having this kind of um, romantic argument. And in the script, what is no, not in the movie anymore is Henry says to Kate, the reason you don't believe this can be true is because you don't think the light can be brighter than the darkest thing you know. Mm. Um, and that, that became a, a handle for me in terms of then visualizing the movie of the, the difference between not, not dark in the sense of like the, the way that we evangelicals just simply apply that to sin. But the, I think of it more about the things about ourselves that we're afraid if those were exposed, that we wouldn't be lovable anymore. And I think that's an almost universal experience. Uh, and so the, the, the experience Kate's having inviting other people to that by thinking about opening themselves up to be loved in the way that dark 
places get opened up to light. Since you mentioned the cinematography, um, I'd love for you to talk about working with your incredible um, leads. Uh, Camille Rowe plays a character named Kate, who is Gomer, um, and uh, Avi Nash uh, plays uh, Henry, who is Hosea. Um, How did you get involved with them, and how did you convince them to do a Bible story? Uh, Avery, you want to talk about that casting? Yeah. Um, it's interesting because um, Camille came to what we had an audition for um, for these roles. And so we spent a day, I think it was in Burbank, California. Um, we spent a couple of days just kind of watching audition after audition. And Camille was one of those people that just, um, I... I want to say she was like one of the last people to come in, I think. And just, it almost felt like she just strolled in <laughs> and just like killed it. I mean, um, yeah. she did such a fantastic job and it just, she was Kate, you know what I mean? And it almost seemed, it was like effortless. It seemed like it, it, mean, it felt like it, at least, in, you know, from watching it from our perspective, it felt so effortless yeah. and she just embodied um, that role, and um, I don't, I don't even think that there was questions from us at that point. Once we saw her, I think we were, we were pretty sold that she was at Kate. Um, and then Avi, um, Avi was interesting as well because I think Avi, um, he wasn't in LA, so he didn't come, you know, come physically to that casting. Um, but you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. I think I may be forgetting the details, but I think um, our casting director had made contact with his agents and sometimes, somehow he got submitted. You know, he was on our list of people. And it was kind of funny because, you know, Avi was on his way to France, I think, to like go and be a baker. <laughs> I think it was like <laughs> the time. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I totally forgot about that. <laughs> But no, we want you to be in this movie. If I like saw him do it, he did a a, a a read. He did a, he did a self tape um, on and submitted on video. And we're like, hey, we really like this guy. We think he's really good. And we set up this meeting. You know, it was like a Zoom meeting with the three of us and with him. And um, he was fantastic. We really liked this guy. And he was like, well, he's kind of leaving the country. <laughs> do this expedition to go and be a baker and we're like wait no we want to cast him in the movie that was was part of what appealed to me so much about him though was you know Henry is this person um, who has a deep idealism and conviction uh, that you know as the movie moves on to Kate feels like um, this this ridiculous aspect of his worldview and but he's so committed to it, he'll go to these extremes to, to see that idealism out. And here we have this actor who had auditioned and we really liked. And then our first call with him, he's like, yeah, I'm not going to be in the country tomorrow. And the impetus for that entire trip was he just wanted to learn French. So he was like, the best way to learn French is for me to immerse myself in a French baking school and just figure it out. <laughs> and I was like, that sounds like Henry. Oh my God. <laughs> so, um, and I should say too, that we, uh, I really think of the movie as having three leads. I think that Donovan, um, the character played by Josh Penn, is 
absolutely crucial to how uh, to Kate's experience because I know typically this story is used in terms of Hosea and Gomer, but when we think about the experience of a person, someone like Kate, so much of that lived experience is about relationships being commodified and love being commodified. Yeah. And that, that looks a lot of sorts of different ways. Um, and so it's for us going into a movie like this, there are all kinds of hurdles. I mean, thousands of hurdles to the ways that you can mistakenly uh, portray a character as a caricature, especially with something like a pimp. And for Josh to pull off Donovan in the way that he did with the complexities, with the deep empathy uh, that he approached that character with, I think is just um, an extremely important part of the film. Absolutely. There was a moment where um, that his character had so much of what I didn't expect a character like that to have. And it made me realize, oh, this like this story is about, in a way, two men trading this woman back and forth. Uh, She's lost here um, between them. And in your film, she has this agency that um, I think is um, what helped uh, save the story for me. It's April's favorite word is agency. So you oh. just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just, I was like, I, I feel like that's such a, um, like a full of, it's not a full of word. I've heard of people use it, but I, that True, has been in that world. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's about power and who has the power in the, in the story in the Bible, as it's normally told, it's, um, God complaining about these people using their power of choice in the wrong way. And he's really displeased and that's why their life sucks. And if they would just get everything together and get back with him, then everything would be good again. And it always struck me like a, a whiny ex-boyfriend, you know, saying, you know, look, I can, you know, if you would just understand how great I am, uh, your life would be better. And it really, you know, is, is I think, stripped of a lot of that um, passive aggressiveness in this story. I... I hope, Alex, that um, some of the conversations that happen after people uh, watch the movie, I guess I should say for people of faith, I hope the conver- some of the conversations that happen after people watch the film, part of what they'll be interested in discussing is um, the way that I think we could talk about God changing God's approach to loving humanity. Hmm. That exactly what you're talking about in terms of some of these, you know, especially some of the minor prophetic books, of this just you know repetitive frustration God has with the lack of faithfulness of Israel um, is I think echoed in in the person of Henry and part of my experience of of these characters uh, and putting the story together is that we as the audience get to experience that Henry thinks of himself as really loving super hard <laughs> um, you know like loving all the love and yet part of what Kate's saying to him is you're still not getting it. Um, not that I think humanity needs to just say to God, you're not getting it, God, but that God, uh, if we think, if, if I consider myself a Christian, look at the arc of scripture, then part of what I'm seeing is God changing God's approach to what, um, that 
that incarnate embodied love looks like. And so we, we wanted to very subtly model that. Um, but you had, I wanted to specifically comment on what you had asked about the actors because yeah. I think this is important. The, I, I would say that both those actors, if their sense was that we were making a religious film, and I'm putting that in air quotes that you can't see, they would not have been a part of it. Part of the reason that they were drawn to it is because we were really set on making a film that would be a good story for anybody who wanted to watch it, regardless if they have had, had any sense of the source material. And it is, uh, a, and it is a and good I'm, story, so congratulations. Thank you. I, I think that for people who care about scripture, they're obviously having a, an additional layer of experience as they watch it. But, um, you know, I think for Camille, not to put words in her mouth, but my sense is that she cared about the story of a woman who, again, has been gone through all these different forms of um, love being commodified and, and people trying to sort of force their agency upon her to finally realize that part of what being loved means is to love and accept yourself enough to actually be able to receive that love. Uh, and I think that's something that actors understand really deeply. Actors and models, they spend a lot of time being commodified by people. Yeah. Uh, and so that I think res- re- resonated with her. Um, let's uh, step away. And I'd just love to hear from um, each of you about how you um, kind of where you um how you grew up and how that um, kind of moved you towards, you know, your work in, in filmmaking and your interest in telling stories. Um, so maybe Suzanne, do you want to start? Sure. Uh, yeah. I, I grew up, like I said, in Oklahoma, my first part of my life, I was in a small town and you know, I was a church kid and uh, heard all these stories uh, from the Bible and, you know, lots of times for kids, you hear a sanitized version of these stories, which I think is what kids should hear. Kids, I mean, you're not developmentally ready yet to hear the real life version. But I think for me, especially with filmmaking, um, as I got older, and like I referenced the book that I read, um, you know, when I started getting into my teens and 20s and so on, when I started to think about the kind of movies that I really enjoyed, the kind of movies that I wanted to tell, if they were going to deal with any kind of theme or be loosely reimagined like we did, that would come from the Bible, then I would want it to be told in a way that was real life. I would want it to be, uh, for lack of better words, it's going to be uncomfortable, right? And I really, uh, for this particular project, wanted to do something that, um, that meant something, not just to me, but to other people. And I wanted it to be something that, uh, there's a multiple there's multiple themes in this film that and every it's interesting because everybody who watches it kind of walks away with something different. We're like, wow, hey, we've on a lot of stuff here. It's pretty heavy, but that's real life. And I think when you really think about the Bible and you read the Bible, I'm this project is actually in the last year. I feel like I've gotten a lot closer in my walk because of the research I've been doing and people I've been reading about and just wondering more about who these characters are. It's just I my journey was that I just wanted to do something that I felt like hadn't been done as far as the story of Hosea. It hadn't really been told like this um, from her point, her point of view. And um, we just often wonder about these females in the Bible. They just don't get a lot of airtime and I think they should. And, you know, we had to take a lot of liberties because we don't know a lot about Gomer, but um, we wanted to tell something that, that seems real. So I hope that makes sense. Yeah. 
Uh, Avril, how did how did you get involved in in this world? Um, so I actually I became a Christian kind of late in life, like um, became a professing Christian when I was twenty one or right before my twenty first birthday. So I was a junior in college. Um, however, I grew up in the church. Um, I grew up Methodist, AME, um, African Methodist Episcopal. And it was kind of like a progressive church in the sense that, uh, you know, we used to do a lot of theater and like put on plays. And, you know, I remember us doing like the color girls who considered suicide. Like we, we were, we were going to do that play like, for our church. And like, you know, we did the whiz and like we were doing all these plays that were like important to our community. And I think when I, when I did become a Christian, it was, it was really trying to reconcile um, you know, kind of like that past and that rootedness in in the art with what I was seeing as this very sanitized version of, you know, Bible stories um, that I would see in films. And, um, you know, part of, you know, it's one of many reasons why I went to seminary to like study that marriage, like between theology and film, because I was I was having a really difficult time kind of reconciling the type of films that I wanted to be doing um, and the types of films that I was seeing that were kind of labeled Christian. Um, so I think, like like I said before, like this film for me this was, a, was, a, was an interesting kind of intersection of those two thoughts, especially being that like, you know, you know, the last few years, I feel like, you know, my faith has just it's become a lot more complicated <laughs> need to unpack, but like, you know the 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 nuance in this film. I think spoke to um, it was a kind of like a culmination, or or it spoke to like all of those experiences of you know growing up in the church with this sort of um, with a different idea and a different ideal about what art looks like and what sacred art looks like, um, and then you know kind of how that changed once I became a Christian, and then how that changed again you know, when my ideas started to change again and then how that changed again when I went to seminary. So, uh, so this project for me was like a good, um, sort of, um, amalgamation of all of those, all of those ideals. If that makes any sense. Yeah. <laughs> I hear lots of changes going on and, and this film I think is a, yeah, is a great, sure. uh, a great one, especially for folks who, uh, are feeling like, um, their the faith that they grew up with is really not the faith that works for them in in the world that they are trying yeah, to uh, survive definitely. in. And Ryan, how did you uh, um, decide that you would, uh, or did you see yourself at some point making a film about a uh, a book of the Bible that would also um, be about beautiful art? Yeah. Uh, well, I definitely looking back, I can see how the journey has led me to this place. Um, I, I grew up in a little Nazarene church in Southern Colorado and was like Uber Sunday school kid did Bible quizzing, which is a thing no one's ever heard of. But like, if you're, if you're deep into the world of Nazarene, them, like it's, it's pretty intense. Um, you do Were you in Oh, I, I did do Awana memorize yeah, all those did. Bible verses. Okay. Are, you, um, are you saying that you could have been at 10 years old, asked what Hosea's wife's name was and you would have known it? Yeah. I, well, oh my God. And I, well, Bible quizzing, you actually do like a specific, each year is a specific book of the Bible. We're about to get into the weeds here, but 
one year, my junior year of high school, I had the entire book of Matthew memorized by verse. Um, it was, it was, yeah, it, yeah. So, um, I, I went to, uh, you know, like so many people went to a Christian university, university sort of felt like I had the, the rug pulled out from underneath me as soon as I started looking at my face, uh, through a, a little bit more academic lens and applying another part of myself. Um, but I think the, the long journey of, of coming to LA and deciding not to be in full-time ministry, coming to LA and pursuing, pursuing the entertainment industry, the marriage of those two things meant that I continued to be still very convicted about the truths that I believe and still wanting to affect change in the world in terms of introducing other people, especially people of faith to some of those truths that I think that I thought they were missing. But I just became more and more dubious about the idea that that could be meaningfully accomplished through telling people like, this is what you should do. This is what you should believe, which is essentially what a, you know, what a sermon is, but also I think even is whittled down to like how, how we interact on social media and things like that these days that we're all sort of easily entering these echo chambers where we're just talking to people who think like us. And to me, a film represents a really rare, or I guess I should maybe say a story represents a very rare opportunity to invite people of very differing worldviews to come into a space without arguing over a specific topic like trafficking or sexual abuse or even a more inflammatory one like patriarchy. But if I were to like tell people, hey, did you know that you've been using the story of Hosea to support you know, the structure of patriarchy and it's being, you know, used to justify spousal abuse. If I said that, so many people would just shut down. But if we get to approach folks with a story, they can enter that story, experience something about themselves inside of it. I think their hearts are softened to some of those truths that I would like them to experience um, in, a, in a more successful way than if I just said it at them. So to me, that's like the, the go big reason why I think I moved from wanting to be a, uh, a full-time minister to being a, a storyteller in film. You know, it's been really great hearing your journeys. And um, maybe as a final question, going back to that spirituality thing that we were talking about earlier, it sounds like a couple of you have used this term sacred art, and I would really like for you to maybe define it or give me a sense of what it uh, feels like or encompasses to you. Hmm. I mean, for me, when I'm using that term, I'm I'm talking about um, art that speaks, art that connects the human experience to God and to what is holy. And for me, that is broad. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I think that that looks different. For different people, I think it could come in in many different ways. Um, if I, you know, use, you know, I, I spoke about my church growing up, and it's like our, you know, we we were connecting people to God through community, and so it's like we were doing these plays because that's what our that's what brought our community together. And in the and and in the essence of that, we we found God through that community that we experienced together. And then at the same time, we were discussing these issues that were 
very important to our community as a whole, like on a, on a holistic level. So for me, um, when I say sacred art, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm talking about, you know, any art in any art form that connects us to God, like whatever that looks like. And it's, it's having a transcendent experience within that, whatever, you know, whatever, whatever form that may come in. Totally. Yeah, I would, I would add. Oh, sorry, Steve, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and the cool thing about art is that it's such a personal, individual experience for each one of us, right? We can all three watch the movie, we all three made this movie, and each kind of have our own takeaway, right? And, and I think it's cool in this particular project is that some people will just, you know, watch it, and it's a drama, and she's been through a lot, and then those who really dig deeper and understand the theology behind it, I think you're going to walk away feeling um, really satisfied and also challenged in, in, in kind of where they see God in this and then maybe where they see themselves. So it's such a personal experience. Yeah, I was just going to add that I, to me, art that brings about some additional form of wholeness to a person mm-hmm. who's participated in that art is sacred. Um, yeah. I I think of Big Fish as my favorite movie because when I watched it, it was in time in my life when I was really struggling with the themes of what truth meant. And there was something about watching that film that just really touched a soft spot in me and helped I me, mean, was deeply emotional, but also helped me recategorize things that I've been struggling with. And I left that experience with at least the beginning of some healing. Uh, and Big Fish is certainly not thought of as a, um, you know, a religious film, but to me it was sacred. So I think in as much as I believe God is seeking the wholeness and redemption of all things, if there's any piece of art that's working in the same direction, then I would call it sacred. Well, thanks. That's uh, really inspiring to hear. And um, it's been really, um, I'm honored to have talked with you today about the, work that you made and and about the our quest to to be um you know i don't know light bearers in this world as as folks who care about um art and truth and justice um i guess my final question is where can folks see this film yes we're so excited this film will be released this friday the 25th you can get it on iTunes, which is Apple TV, on Amazon Prime Video, Google Play, and Voodoo. Excellent. Uh, and we have a website, Hosea Film. HoseaFilm.com is a website, and we have a bunch of materials and all the info there that people can go to as well. And Alex, can I add real fast that we, we hope that people will watch this <laughs> in a community. Um, the themes that the movie discusses I think it's so, it's so important to try and engage in those themes in conversation with other people. So one of the elements of that that's been so important to us is trying to um, do it, to provide the tools for that space. We have a discussion guide that's available on our website and it is awesome. We're super proud of it. I think it'll really help mm-hmm. guide people through healthy and helpful conversations after they see the film. Um, so I would definitely encourage people to check that out. <laughs> Absolutely. I was thinking this is a film that I uh, could see um, groups uh, really um, 
having a great time discuss, discussing because of, um, yeah, we hope all, so. the, of all the different angles. So uh, what's the website again? HoseaStone.com. Well, thanks again, and I wish you three all the best. Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive.